This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. I'm glad you're here. You guys are the sandwich crowd. The middle of the sandwich. Because we just had a service at 7.30, and then we got another one coming at 11, so you're kind of in the middle. And we even had a, uh, an, can I call it an appetizer? I'm not sure what to call it, but we actually had a sunrise service this morning as well. So this is number three for us today, number two for me, and uh, I'm just thrilled to see you. And uh, I don't know where you're from, and, uh, and how you found out about us is kind of important, but I'm glad that you're here today to celebrate uh, the Lord's resurrection with us. So thank you, thank you uh, for being here. Um, I want us to start off before we get into this morning's message. I want us to have a word of prayer. I just was in between the services. I, I opened up my computer and, uh, and I saw the news about Pakistan. Did you see that yet this morning? Uh, they've been bombing churches and hotels in Pakistan this morning. Sri Lanka, is that where it is? It's over in somewhere in that part of it, but you know, it's, thank you, Sri Lanka. And the last I saw was 145 killed and hundreds injured. But uh, I want us to bow and pray, you know, how sad it is that people come to church on Easter morning and to celebrate the risen Christ and, and people of another religion who don't like them so much, who hate us, uh, feel it's okay to blow them up while they're worshiping their God. Um, so let's pray for that. We pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come. We know that when it does, Jesus, when you're seated upon the throne in Jerusalem and you reign on this earth for a thousand years, such things as terrorism, crime, those things are going to be eradicated. And I pray, Father, for your kingdom to come. But in the meantime, Father, we live in a scary world. And I lift up our brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka. Uh, the sadness that's there on this day that should be full of joy. Um, I pray for, for those who are there protecting other people. Uh, I pray, God, for those who have committed these horrible acts. I pray for them to come know Jesus as their Savior and change their lives completely. So we lift them up, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. Even though we don't know these folks, we feel a family kinship with them. And we know, God, that your heart is broken as well. So please be with them at this time in a very special way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can turn with me in your Bible if you have one. If you don't, there's some in the chairs. Or, or look on your device. Um, we have an app for the Bible in our church app. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24 today. And if you're using the Bible, it's in the chairs, page 974. And I'm going to read there in just a little bit, in a few minutes. As the video said, empty, it's, it's a word we don't usually like. If you've ever run out of gas, anybody ever done that? Driving down the road and you sputter and come to a stop. I remember the first time I did that, my, my gauge, my fuel gauge said I had like over a quarter of a tank. Run out of gas. I hate that, that kind of thing. In most cases, empty means something that we need 
is either gone, it's depleted, or we've never had it to begin with. Whether it's in the refrigerator, the gas tank, the toothpaste tube, you know, empty. It can be frustrating even in simple things of life. But when empty enters into, for example, the area of relationship, the area of belonging, things like love, then empty moves, it can move past frustration into devastation. And there are a lot of people who live empty lives, lots of people who do. And they've lost their purpose, perhaps. Maybe they've lost their career, their job. They've lost their partner. They just exist. I, in the morning when I'm, I get up and I leave fairly early sometimes and and uh, I often, there's kids that wait at the end of my street at the stop sign for the school bus. Four or five kids usually there waiting for the bus in the morning. And, and there's this one girl, and I, I think she's probably middle age, or middle school, not middle age, middle school. And she's middle age, she is empty, isn't she? If she's waiting to go to, you'll get there, honey. <laughs> middle school. And, and the times that I've driven by and stopped at that stop sign, and I look and I see her over there, she always has this blank, very distant look in her eyes. And I wonder why she seems to me to be so empty. I've been tempted to roll down my window and just say to, you, to her, hey, I don't know you, but are you okay? I don't do that because then I might have the police tailing me, you know, for. But I would really like to ask her that question. And to be honest with you, I'm, I'm frankly, I'm, I'm scared of what she might say. What's wrong? Why is she so empty at this place in her life? There are empty people all around us and they often show that desire to fill that emptiness with things that, that won't, that can't fill it, fill it. For example, we can't fill our emptiness with several things. Can't fill it with relationships. Do you know people who go from one relationship to another and none of them ever seem to turn out good? You know those kind of people? And if they do stick with a relationship, it often is a bad one that they wish they could leave, but they don't know how. You see, human relationships are temporary at best, aren't they? All of them. Human relationships are temporary at best. And especially if you try to fill your emptiness with them, you'll realize that. And when a relationship ends, sadly, in a lot of people's lives, it leaves more emptiness than before. You can't fill it with relationships. Secondly, you can't fill emptiness with career, with work. There's a difference between being a hard worker. I commend you who are hard workers. But there's a difference between being a hard worker and being a workaholic, isn't there? Work's a good thing unless it consumes your life and it provides you your only sense of purpose. You ever known people who worked hard all their lives, 40, maybe 50 years? They worked all their lives and finally they got to the place in life where they just couldn't work anymore because of health and so forth. And so they 
retired only to die within a year. They lost their purpose. Got no reason to get up in the morning anymore. The rocking chair got old real quick. Work is a temporary thing, and it can't fill the emptiness in a person's heart heart or soul. Uh, here's another thing that can't fill your emptiness. Family. Now, some of you are going to be surprised about what I'm going to say. But, and by the way, family is one of the best things in life, isn't it? I'm all about family. I love my family. I love being around them sometimes. And um, <laughs> I'm so thankful for my wife. She planned every year we do a, an Easter Sunday afternoon thing with our kids and now with our grandkids. We did it with our children when they were young all the way up until they were adults. And, um, and finally, when, when my youngest brother, whose name I will not say, we, we do Easter, an Easter egg hunt. And we had one Easter egg hidden for the adults and it had a considerable amount of money in it. And he decided it must be up on the roof. And he climbed up on a table that wasn't built to support his, his volume. <laughs> Broke the table. So we don't do that anymore with the adults. It's for the kids. So all my grandkids and probably their cousins and maybe the little boy next door come over. This. I'm so glad that Gail planned that today for 4 o'clock. Because when I leave here today, about 1230, I'm going to go home and take a nap. <laughs> I got up at five. Family's a great thing. The Bible calls marriage a holy thing. The Bible says children are a heritage from the Lord. And the Bible even compares our being part of a local church, like, like some of our folks are here, and maybe you're from out of town and you're part of a church back home if you're from out of town. The Bible compares being part of a local church to being part of a family. It calls us family. But as wonderful as family can be and as wonderful as family should be, family cannot fill the emptiness of the human heart. Why? Because family's temporary, isn't it? Family's temporary. Family can hurt you. Family can abandon you. Family can die. Family's temporary. One of the top causes of divorce in this country is something called the empty nest. Many of you have experienced that. My wife and I understand that, the empty nest. Your kids grow up and the house is empty. And you would think that in an ideal world, a marriage that's already lasted probably 20 to 30 years would be divorce-proof. I mean, what could come along now, you know? But the sad fact is, however, that having been together for many years, lots of couples separate or get divorced when the children leave home. They realize all of a sudden when they look around the house, there's nobody there but you and me. And they realize they have nothing left in common. Maybe because they've poured all of their love and all of their attention into their children. And folks, that's not a wise thing to do. My first love, other than Jesus Christ, is my wife. My kids come after her. Ladies, your first love and your family is not your children. It needs to be your husband. Right? And when you get that, you've all of a sudden made your family stronger. They realize 
We, we have nothing in common. The kids are gone. And so what made them and their lives full all of a sudden in a few years became empty. Your children weren't given to you. I'm just going to be honest with you. Okay, can I do that this morning? Your children were not given to you to fill the empty place in your heart. And by putting them in that place and expecting them to fill it, you've elevated your children up to a God status that they don't want, that they don't need, they don't deserve. By the way, I'm at the stage of the game. I'm looking at some of you in particular this morning. Neither were your grandchildren. That's not their role. That's not their purpose as much as we love them. Some people fill their emptiness with habits. Some habits are, are good for us, aren't they? If you exercise regularly, daily, you get out and walk, whatever it might be, that's a good habit. I had a physical just the other day, Wednesday, and I'm, the doctor asked me, so what are you doing to exercise? And I told him what I do, and I do it regularly. And he said, that's good for a guy your age. I'm surprised you can do that, you know, kind of thing. If you spend time in the Word and in prayer, that's a good habit, isn't it? Draws you closer to God. You start your day out, hopefully, talking to the Lord and spending time in His Word. Here's a new habit that I've developed in the last couple of years. Um, we've been empty nesters for a long time, and I finally figured something out. In the morning, and I do this almost every day, I make Gail a cup of coffee before she gets up. I'm the first one up. Before she gets up, I make her a cup of coffee, fix it just like she likes it, and bring it to her in bed. Coffee's ready. That's a good habit. You know why? You guys know, happy wife. There you go. I've learned that. Finally, I've been married 42 years. It's starting to sink in. Some habits, however, are bad, especially the addictive kinds of habits and Maybe we can call them, call them artificial peace, artificial fulfillment. Because the sense of satisfaction, that pill, that drink, that porn, that time on the, on the Facebook, the time we spend on those kind of things is momentary the high that it brings, the fulfillment that it brings, there's, it leaves, it's gone, and, and the emptiness does what? Comes right back. This really is a tragedy in our culture, even among our kids. Then there's one more that I want to suggest, and this might surprise you because especially some of you will think, wow, look where we are, and he said that. You know what can't bring you peace, what can't fill the emptiness in your heart? Religion. Religion. There's a reason why Karl Marx, the originator of socialism, said, and I quote, religion is the opiate of the masses. Religion gives a lot of people a high, is what he was saying. What do you mean, Rick? We're in church. We're religious, aren't we? Maybe. I'll define religion this way. Let me define it for you this way so you understand where I'm coming from. Religion is man's efforts to connect with God. Religion is me doing whatever I can do to get God's attention, to connect God, with, hopefully to allow God to think I'm doing all right, that I, that I gain some merit with him. 
that he's pleased with me today because I came to church on Easter Sunday and that's a religious act and God, please check that off my list. But how many people have become turned off by their own religion because they found that it could not keep them full? It promised things that never happened. Even in the days of the New Testament, the churches there were being warned by the, by the Apostle Paul, especially about the emptiness of religion and human philosophy in Colossians 2.8. Paul wrote, be careful, watch out. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. He makes a difference there between religion and Christ. None of these things that I just listed, I think there were five of them. None of them, and there are more, I'm sure, that people try to fill the emptiness of their, their souls with. None can fulfill that. But here's the irony. Here's what we're here to celebrate and talk about this morning. The only, only the empty tomb can fill the human heart. That's the only thing that can do it. Let me read this familiar story to you out of Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, Sunday morning, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. Now, Jesus' body, because he had to be taken down from the cross before sunset, because at sunset the Passover, or excuse me, the Sabbath began. And they, in Judaism, you were not allowed to be on a cross like that. You had to be buried before sunset. So they quickly took him down. It was one of the great things about Jesus died before they had to break his legs. You know that part of the story. He's already dead. They quickly took him down. They quickly wrapped him in a shroud and, and burial cloths and quickly took him to the tomb. They had no opportunity to embalm him as they embalmed in those days with spices they came to do that, to embalm him with the spices. And they, verse 2, found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, and these are women that it's speaking of here. They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. He's not there. While they were perplexed about this, I'm sure they're looking at each other, wondering, what in the world Suddenly, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. Angels. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground before these angels. And the angels asked them, what are you, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Let me paraphrase that. What are you girls doing in a cemetery on Sunday morning? Haven't you got better things to do today than be in a cemetery on Sunday morning? I mean, it's still dark. I don't want to hang out in a cemetery when it's dark. How about you? Kind of creepy. Why are you here? Why are you looking for the living? You're looking for Jesus, right? He's alive. Why are you looking for him in a cemetery among the dead? He's not here, but he's been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee? He brought to their remembrance something Jesus had said. And quoting Jesus, 
who said, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. Ladies, did you miss that? Why are you here? But they remember Jesus' words. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven, to the disciples, and to all the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Listen to the apostles' reaction. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. You know what I think of when I think of nonsense? You parents will remember this, I'm sure, reading Dr. Seuss books to your kids. One fish, two fish, green eggs and ham. That's what it sounded like to the apostles. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. I do not like them, Sam I am. What are you saying? They did not believe the women. Peter, however, God bless Peter. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloth. So he went home amazed at what had happened. Sunday morning, Jesus' tomb is empty. The stone's been rolled away. And nothing remains in the tomb but the grave cloths that wrapped his body. And some would say, and some still say today, that his body was stolen. That's what happened. Just the, somebody came and stole it. The Jewish leaders asked for a guard to be posted at the tomb because they said his disciples are going to come and steal his body and say that he's risen from the dead because he said they listened to what Jesus said because he said he would rise from the dead. So we want a guard there at the tomb so nobody gets in. His body was stolen, they would say. You know, I'm not a thief. I don't pretend to be one. I've I've slept in a Holiday Inn, but I'm not a thief. Some of you will get that when you drive home today. Now, But I would think, help me out, maybe there's some thieves here today. I would would think that if you're going to steal a body with a guard placed at the tomb, even if they had fallen asleep, I would think you're not going to take time to unwrap the grave cloths off of this body, take him out, and as the other gospels tell us, fold the cloths in nice, neatly order. Are you? You're going to grab the body and run. It's like invasion of the body snatchers here. You're not going to take anything. You're going to grab the body and get it and leave nothing behind. So there's shock. The women, the disciples. At first, the women's first thought was, you know, his body was had been stolen. In John's account, Mary Magdalene told Peter and John, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Who is they? The Jews had nothing to win by taking the body out of the tomb, did they? Even though she had been told by the angel who rolled the stone away, Jesus had resurrected just as he said, and she went back and said, but somebody's taken him. Well, before long, the good thing is that reality sets in because the living Jesus begins to appear to his disciples Mary Magdalene, after running to tell the 11 disciples the tomb is empty, later she comes back to the site and was crying. She's there in front of the stones rolled away. She's there in front of the tomb and she's sobbing. Can't believe somebody did this. 
Well, the angels asked her this question. So Mary, help us out here. This is the second question we've asked you this morning. The first question is, what are you doing here looking for the living among the dead? Now you've come back and you're crying. So we got a second question. Why are you crying? What have you got to cry about? I really don't think that this tells me something about angels. I don't think angels get it when it comes to a crisis in human faith. I don't think they understand. They don't have a fallen nature like we do. If Jesus, it's like the angels are saying, to, to, listen, listen to me, girl. If Jesus said he would resurrect after three days, why are you surprised that he did? But Mary, like the disciples, found themselves empty after Jesus was crucified. It's come to an end. He's dead. It's as though all of his promises to them were ignored. But here's, the, here's what holds out the hope for you and me. Emptiness ends when we accept the truth. Emptiness comes to an end. Having said this, he turned around. This is from the scripture. Having said this, they've taken him. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Well, she supposed he was the gardener. He's there to straighten up and clean up and tend to the garden. She replied, sir, if you've removed him, tell me where you've put him and I'll take him away. Jesus just said one word. He said, Mary. When he said her name, she had heard him say that before. She knew that voice. Reminds me of when Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice and they know me. Turning around, she said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers, the disciples, and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, okay, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what had happened to her, what he said to her. You know, as soon as Mary accepted the truth that this was indeed Jesus standing there talking to her, as soon as she accepted the truth, her emptiness was gone. Can you imagine what she must have felt like running back to the disciples and when she burst into the room to tell them, I have seen the Lord. I think she was right excited, don't you? I think it was Gomer Pyle. Golly! I think there was excitement. I, the joy was there. The emptiness was gone. And then Jesus appeared to them all, first to the two walking down the road to Emmaus, and then to all of them, and then to, at one time to hundreds at one time. People say, well, they all, the people, they were having hallucinations. Hundreds of people don't have the same hallucination unless they've all been eating the same mushroom. That doesn't happen. The tomb was empty, but Jesus was alive. And that made all the difference. So here's the message on this Easter morning. Here's what I want you to hear. 
The tomb was empty because Jesus arose. And some of you are thinking, well, duh, who doesn't know that? That's why we're here this morning, Rick. But do you get what it means? It means that the emptiness of humanity, the emptiness of the human heart can be filled by Christ because he's no longer in the grave. The Apostle Paul wrote, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. This is why I talk to God, he said. From whom every family in heaven, every tribe, every nation, every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, writing to the church, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Where does emptiness happen in you and me? It's within, isn't it? In the inner man, and that the Messiah, that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts. And that's where the emptiness happens. That he may dwell in your hearts through faith. The inner man, our hearts. Jesus can fill what's empty empty in you and me. He wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 3, verses 14 through 19, another prayer. He said, I pray for this church. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to understand, to comprehend with all the saints what is the, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. How big is the love of God? He said, I want you to know it. Why? I want you to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There's no reason to be empty anymore. Now, if you're empty today, and maybe you are, I'm guessing that there's some people that have come in this morning, whether you're here every Sunday or this is your first time, that have come in this morning seeking something to fill the emptiness in your life. And you would say, you would confess, what I've been trying hasn't worked. God wants you, if you came in this room empty, God wants you to leave this room full. Can I say that again? If you came empty, he wants you to leave full. He wants to replace your emptiness with Jesus. The Bible tells us that for in Christ the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily, meaning in Jesus who came as a man, died as a man, rose from the dead, in Jesus is everything that is God. Then the Bible goes on to say this, and you, Christian, you've been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. He's writing to those believers and he says, you have been filled, the emptiness is gone. You see, when Jesus becomes your savior by faith in him, this living savior, when he becomes your savior because you put your faith and trust in him, he replaces your emptiness, whatever its cause, whatever has happened to you or not, he replaces your emptiness with all he is. And this morning on this Easter Sunday, I invite you, to trade in your emptiness right here, right now. Trade it in for Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? You may say to me, Rick, 
what you've said this morning has spoken to my heart. I'll tell you that a fellow came up to me after the last service, tears streaming down his cheeks. And he said, Rick, he said, I have been filling, trying to fill my life with work, with my job, with my business. He said, what I experienced here this morning is what I've been missing in my life. If you're today doing that trading in, you say, I want to trade in my emptiness, something that I know I can't fill with anything else. But I want to fill it with God. It simply begins by putting all your faith in Christ. He died for you to forgive you of your sins. He died for you so that you could have everlasting life. And he says to get that, listen to what he says, just believe. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Just believe. Now, maybe that's your decision today. I don't know. I can't see in anybody's heart. Maybe that's your decision today. And, and if it is, I'd like you to do something for me. While we're singing this song that's about to come up here in a moment, maybe take out a connect card from the seat in front of you and let us know on the page that says decision, the top box, you can check that. It says, I'm ready to put my trust in Jesus. And then as you leave, put on the other side of the card, tell us who you are. Um, we'd like to know, and maybe we can connect with you. But on the other side, just give us your info and then drop that card. There's a box right by the door as you leave this room, black box on the wall. Just drop it in the box. Um, our pastors will be standing here in the front and would love to pray with you after we conclude in just a moment with a song or two. I'm going to pray. Then I'm going to ask you just to remain seated for this first song. If you need to fill out that card, please do so. Father in heaven, tomb's empty, so we don't have to be. I think that's great. That's an amazing thing, Father, that you've done for us. Thank you for all that Jesus went through, especially on the cross and right prior to the cross and all the humiliation and the beating and, and all the for crimes he did not commit, for my crimes, my sin. And that you prove, Father, by raising him from the dead that everything he ever said was true, that everything he ever claimed was true, that he indeed is God Almighty. And all you ask of us is now, would you put your trust in him? Would you believe in him with your heart, with all your faith? And in exchange for your emptiness, I'll give you my fullness. And it's free. Thank you for that, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world. 